It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the first time since Joe Biden beat Donald Trump to the U.S. presidency, in what a worrying number of Americans still believe was a stolen election, a sharply polarised country heads back to the polls. Tensions are rising in the United States as they prepare for the midterm elections. That is, at the midway point of the four-year presidential term, voters could flip control of both the House of Representatives and the Senate from the Democrats to the Republicans. The elections are hugely significant as they can have an enormous impact on the direction of the nation. In-person voting opens tomorrow in the midterm elections where basically everything except the presidency is up for grabs and we'll know most of the results by Wednesday. For many Americans on either side of a bitter divide, this isn't just a contest for political power, it's a fight to save freedom itself. We have fundamental rights and American freedoms under threat. Abortion rights and reproductive freedom ripped away. We sometimes take freedom for granted. You should not do that after the last two years. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back on all fronts. This is America, and there are some extraordinary and sometimes, frankly, disturbing characters in this fight. Who are they? And how might the outcomes of tomorrow's elections determine the direction of the nation? You're listening to Stories of Our Times, the Times and the Sunday Times, I'm David Aronovich. Today, US midterms 2022, an existential election. I'm David Charter. I'm the US editor of The Times, based in Washington, DC, where I've been for around four years. So the elections coming up are not my first rodeo. And to be honest, they're just as crazy as all the other ones I've covered. I arrived in America shortly before the 2018 midterms, which was in some ways a traditional midterms. So you expect the party of the president to get a pretty good kicking. This time has been a little different. Quite often in American elections, they have what's known as an October surprise, which is a story that's either out of the blue or manufactured by one of the parties to try and swing the election at the last minute in their direction. But in these elections, we had a June surprise because the Supreme Court ruled back then to throw out the guarantee of access to abortion that had been established in 1973, known as the Roe v. Wade case. 
And that suddenly woke up Democrat supporters to the fact that things were changing in America as a result of previous elections. And that really galvanized Democratic support and made it look like we could be in for an unorthodox midterms where the party in power actually held on pretty well. So that momentum that carried through the summer for the Democrats has now run out. And what we're seeing is really the re-establishment of normal behaviour in a midterm elections, which is that the opposition party is looking to make quite good gains because of deep unhappiness with other issues. And the abortion issue has fallen down the agenda a bit, just proving that it's only really an October surprise that could swing an election and a June surprise rather loses its impact. <laughs> One of the things about the US, of course, I don't need to tell you, it's a big country and these elections right. are going on all over the country and at all kind of different levels. How do you even go about saying, this is how we're going to cover it? Well, we've been planning for the midterm elections for months, of course. So we've been plotting and planning and travelling all over the country. But you're right, it is difficult to decide but America tends to produce these enormous characters who help you tell the story of all the issues that are bubbling around. Right. We're going to come on, obviously, to talk about some of those races and what's animating them and the personalities a little bit later. That, if you like, is our kind of dessert. But we've got to eat our greens first, David, which means that you've got to tell us what the different races effectively control and how important they are and what power they give. Because we've got the governors, the state legislatures, the Senate, the House of Representatives, Congress, and so on. Could you take us briefly through each of them and their competencies? So very briefly, it's important to know that Joe Biden and Donald Trump, for that matter, are not on the ballot. This is a midterm. This is two years halfway into the presidency. And every two years, the whole House of Representatives has to face re-election. And the House of Representatives, like the House of Commons, is the chamber closest to the people, if you like. That is a chamber which generates a lot of legislation and a lot of inquiries and investigations. At the moment, the Democrats hold it with a very small majority, almost no changes required for the Republicans to win it. And if they do, they will be able to push through their own legislative proposals. But I think the more important thing from the point of view of the next two years is that they can launch investigations which they've promised to do into, for example, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, into his activities and other things that might be quite aggressive and aggravating to the White House. The other chamber, the Senate, they have six-year terms, so we only get one-third of them re-elected every two years. And the map this year is quite kind to the Democrats. The Republicans are defending a couple of seats that are very vulnerable, which is why we talk about the Senate being much closer this time. The Senate is currently split 50-50, so just one seat is needed by the Republicans to take control. Then we have state governors. Now, they are important because they control enormous budgets for their state, and they quite often do produce big characters who go on to challenge for the presidency. Let me welcome you to the freest state in these United States. 
So we're keeping an eye, for example, on the re-election, most likely, of Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, who's a likely presidential challenger. We're going to lead the charge here in Florida, but we need people all over the country to be willing to put on that full armor of God, to stand firm against the left schemes. You'll be met with flaming arrows. But an added dimension this year, because of Trump's continued claims that he was cheated in the 2020 election, is who is going to be in control of the next presidential elections because they're run state by state. So the governor or the secretary of state gets to sign off on the final results of a presidential election. That's obviously become crucially important, as we saw in 2020, when some leading Republicans were arguing for state governors and secretaries of state not to sign off on the results. Wow. I have to say, all, all that sounds like what you would expect in what they call a banana republic. Well, we haven't quite got to the point where anyone's actually done this yet, but the issue of election integrity, as it's referred to more perhaps on the Republican side, has become a really big issue. And we're already seeing that in, in some states where some very Trumpy Republicans are suggesting they won't accept the outcome of the election. We have some very Trumpy candidates who came through the primary contest because they were endorsed by Trump and because they support his unfounded claims that the 2020 election was rigged. And some of them haven't modified their approach and haven't repudiated these views. When you steal something, that's not really a win. That's a fraud. At least 163 Republicans who have embraced Trump's lies are running for statewide office. Of those, 18 are gunning for the top election posts. It is completely criminal. Hundreds of thousands of votes are allowed to be considered as lawful votes, and we know they're illegal. We had a fraudulent election, a corrupt election, and we have an illegitimate president sitting in the White House. They are trying to run campaigns with varying degrees of success while sticking to their pretty extreme Trumpy views. So that's going to be a very interesting experiment in whether this can win in statewide elections. But well, it seems like a good place then, having got there, to start talking about some of those candidates and some of those races. One of those is down in Arizona. And I think you took this one on partially yourself, didn't you? And you spoke with voters in Arizona. What were they telling you? I must say I was quite surprised and I'm very glad I went to Arizona because I found on the Republican side, which is very strong, despite the fact that the state flipped narrowly to Joe Biden in the 2020 election, there's a real obsessive belief that the elections are rigged and not reliable. I met people who are absolutely obsessively fixated on not just a secret national conspiracy, but a globalist conspiracy to keep Democrats in power because of their links to the World Forum and other supposed masters of the universe. Do you follow World Economic Forum at all? I've been to it. Okay. You know what their agenda is. Yeah. Would you say, if you know American politics, is that more in line with the Democrat platform or the Republican platform? Sustainability, electric cars, no fossil fuels. To me, it's a very Democrat agenda. Why did they let Why did they let Trump win then? Why did that happen? It was an accident. Oh. You've never heard this before. 
This is not uncommon among Republican supporters in Arizona. And we found this reflected in the main candidates who are not committing to accept the outcome of this election. Unless they win it. Exactly. For example, Carrie Lake, who's the former local Fox TV anchor who's running for governor, a very strong campaign. She has said when she's asked, as she is quite a lot, whether she will accept the outcome of the election. She says, I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. If you lose, will you accept that? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result because the people... Of course I'll accept it because I'm going to win. And that, that only raises the sort of fears that Trumpy Republicans will cause chaos if their candidates don't win on November the 8th. Does she say what she would have done had she been in office at the time of the 2020 election? If she had been in office at the time, as governor, she would have refused to certify the results of Arizona's very close presidential election. And that is exactly what Trump has been calling on local Republicans to do and to say. Now, one thing I gather has stood out at quite a lot of election events is that they open with prayer. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to hear from Governor Youngkin and our next governor, Carrie Lake. As I ask that you continue, I do ask that you continue to put the right people in Carrie's path to help her be successful. Thank you for What do you feel about that? I mean, have you been surprised by it? I think I was surprised the first time I heard it at a Trump rally. But to be honest, it's it's a regular feature of mainly Republican campaign events now. Is that because the Christian vote is still very important to Republicans? Oh, yes, absolutely. But increasingly, it's the fusion of Christian values with Republican values. And despite the fact some of the candidates don't perhaps display the most godly behaviour, we do find that the evangelical vote in particular is still very strongly behind Republican candidates. Well, that seems like a good segue for us to talk about a very interesting race happening in Georgia, which has possibly the most scandal-ridden candidate of any Republican standing for office. Herschel Walker, whose campaign makes headlines when it doesn't stumble, has recently been forced to acknowledge fathering children he hadn't previously acknowledged publicly. He has also faced allegations of domestic abuse, which he denies, and in a new TV spot purchased by a Republican group opposed to Donald Trump, Walker's ex-wife recalls him threatening to blow my brains out, among other acts of violence. So, down in Georgia, which, like Arizona, is another state that's flipped narrowly to Biden in the 2020 election, so there's been an awful lot of focus on it as well. Yet another very Trumpy candidate endorsed by Donald Trump was chosen by the Republicans. He's a very well-known former NFL footballer called Herschel Walker a black guy, and of course, the black vote is very important in Georgia. It's a a very large part of the electorate. And he's up against the incumbent, who's another black guy, a pastor called Raphael Warnock. He only got elected two years ago in a special election to fill a vacancy, and then only narrowly. And so it's seen as perhaps the best chance for Republicans to pick up a a Democratic seat in the country. But Herschel Walker is running a very pro-life campaign. And There was a proper October surprise in this race because not just one, but two women came forward from Herschel Walker's past to say that he pressurised them into getting abortions. 
Just weeks before the midterm election, new allegations have surfaced that could affect the Georgia Senate race. The Daily Beast reports that back in 2009, Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker allegedly paid his then-girlfriend's, or rather paid for his then-girlfriend's abortion. Now, he vehemently denies the report, calling it, quote, a flat-out lie. The former NFL player has previously... And this is a candidate who's running strongly on no exceptions at all for abortion, not rape, not incest, nothing. And yet, Herschel Walker is still in the race. He's only, as we speak, a few points behind Raphael Warnock, so he still has a chance of winning because Republican voters seem to be adopting the my party right or wrong approach to Herschel Walker in that perhaps like Trump, he's not a perfect vessel, but he carries the message. As you've mentioned, Trump is still very much on the ballot. But I gather it's it's not playing the same way in different races. You've talked about the Arizona gubernatorial race and Carrie Lake, but you've seen it happening in a slightly different way in Pennsylvania, I gather? So this is an absolutely fascinating contrast, and I do think there are good reasons for it. A very strong Trump supporter called Doug Mastriano, who was at the January the 6th riot, and who did cross a police barrier, apparently, but says he did nothing illegal. He was chosen in the primary contest as the candidate for governor in Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania is another one of these swing states. So you would expect normally for a candidate, even if they've said some extreme things to win the primary, to get back towards the center ground to run their statewide campaign for governor. However, not not Doug Mastriano. He absolutely believes that Trump won the 2020 election and has not stepped away from that in any way at all. The whole process has been corrupted. No, nobody cares to see if there was shenanigans, cheating, fraud, and disenfranchisement. Climate change is just a theory. On day one, we're going to be out of the carbon tax and we're going to drill and dig like we've never done before. He has stuck very, very strongly to rather extreme views would that woman who decided to have an abortion, which would be considered an illegal abortion, be charged with murder? Okay, let's go back to the basic question there. Is that a human being? Is that a little boy or girl? If it is, it deserves equal protection on the law. So you're saying yes? Yes, I am. These views do not seem to be appealing to the general electorate of Pennsylvania, and the Democratic candidate, Josh Shapiro, is, at least in opinion polls, in a very comfortable lead, and so it's an interesting contrast with Arizona, where quite a strongly Trumpy candidate we've talked about, Carrie Lake, is really in the running to become governor and could well win that election. And I think that's because of the general air of suspicion about elections, which has really gripped Arizona. So that's the Pennsylvania gubernatorial race. You've also got some odd candidates in the Pennsylvania Senate race. The Pennsylvania Senate race is really one of the most fascinating and from the outsider delicious races that we've got to cover because the two characters it's thrown up are absolutely extraordinary. We've got a six foot nine local Pennsylvanian former mayor. I am a Democrat that is running on my record on crime. He's called John Fetterman and he's running against a TV doctor, another man who's become very familiar to Americans on telly. Up next, can Spicy Foods give you an ulcer? I've got the Spicy Food Challenge videos that will make your mouth hurt. Stick around. That's Mehmet Oz, who again is a, he's friends with Trump and Trump endorsed him, but he's 
not really from Pennsylvania. And so he was very successfully painted as a carpet-bagging outsider by the Fetterman campaign over the summer, which gave Fetterman quite a strong lead. But since then, we've had the debate between Fetterman and Oz, the only debate that Fetterman's camp would agree to. Good evening, candidates who moments ago just met for the first time. We're happy to have you here. Welcome to our audience watching at home on And it's pretty clear that they would only agree to one debate because the poor chap is still in recovery from a stroke he had in May that was possibly life-threatening. And you may notice these large monitors that are behind us. This is part of our closed captioning system. It was requested by John Fetterman to help him process the questions that we are asking him tonight and approved by both They had to have a closed captioning system set up so he could see the words of Oz and the moderator simultaneously being typed on a big screen so he could follow it. And then he wasn't, he just wasn't able to construct any detailed arguments in response to Oz's points or to the moderator's questions. He was able to sloganeer a bit and make basic statements, but it's, it does seem that that race is closing a lot and will be one of the ones that's most closely watched because they're battling over a, a seat that's being vacated by a retiring moderate Republican. This has long been seen as the Democrats' best chance of a pickup, but it's much closer than we thought it was going to be because, again, coming back to this October surprise, I think the surprise here was that because Fetterman had been rather closeted, when we got to see him on the debate stage, it was rather shocking to see that he was still very much in recovery mode from the stroke. God, I have to say, these elections sound more and more like a baseball game in the last five minutes with all the bases loaded and one pitch left. It's America, David. I mean, we, we always end up with these amazing battles, but also the enormous characters that are involved in this make it absolutely absorbing. We've got to bear in mind, though, behind the, all this almost cartoonish action, the fate of the country hangs in the balance. Coming up, what's really at stake in tomorrow's elections? But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Louise Callaghan, a foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times. I work from the front line of international politics and war, bringing you stories from Ukraine to Syria and Yemen. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. So, David, this is quite an existential election in many ways uh, for America, and a lot of people are incredibly worried about what would be the consequences of various results. So this is where we've got to in, in America, David, is that now both sides view this, as you say, as existential in quite apocalyptic terms. It's a choice between sanity or chaos. If, if we lose it, it, our country's going to hell. These folks right now right. are not fighting for the American people. They're actually rooting against the American people because they think that any pain they may feel is potentially to their electoral gain. I think I think it's a civil war. I think that's the only thing that's going to that's going to bring America back together after this election if we lose. And that's worrying I think for the general well-being and fabric of society but also fundamentally whether we'll see violence after November the 8th which for example in Arizona I was warned by a pollster there that he's never seen an atmosphere like it on the democrat side we've got this deep concern over the state of American democracy and the rule of law. Will this election continue a slippery slope towards candidates refusing to accept the outcome and how will they behave if they don't like the results? On the Republican side, we've got this really tremendous fear of wokeness and it's strange to say it, but socialism slash communism coming in in America the traditional values of America being overthrown in favor of an almost lawless society. As Trump would put it, our country is going to hell. This is a phrase that he repeats all the time. And of course, you can see how the atmosphere, already polarized, is becoming apocalyptic in the rhetoric that's used. Now, reading through some of the things which you've been writing and reporting on, I picked up on this extraordinary phrase of people saying, yeah, see, the thing is, we're a republic, not a democracy. Could you explain that one to us? So, yes, this is a phrase that is repeated, and I heard repeated in Arizona by some of the election deniers, and I tried to understand it. Tell me what you mean by when you say we've got a republic, not a democracy. Is that, is that how you say it? Is that what 100%. You, what, do you, what do you Democracy mean? is majority vote, mob rule. So you need 50% plus one. Um, the United States is a republic. So when the laws are passed, the population is not voting on the laws. We're voting the people in. That's what makes it a republic. We're voting in the legislators who pass the laws on our behalf. But, but, but most, most, democracies, most democracies have a way of electing representatives who then pass the laws. And that's what democracies right. do. But the, the issue is, is that all the liberal press keeps talking about democracy, democracy. And, and us here, we're saying, no, it's a republic. Te the te technically, yeah. it is a republic. Oh, it's, it's can, a is, it, is it not both? That's what I mean. Is no, it not, it's, a not, it's not a democratic republic. No, we're a republic. I'm still a bit confused. Constitutional that... republic. We follow the Constitution of the United States and we elect our leaders who represent us. I suspect that what lies behind it is coming back to this idea that the state legislatures and state secretary of state or governor can sign off on the election. In other words, the final say is not with the people in a 50 plus one way. It is with 
the state legislatures. And that comes back to January the 6th, when Trump wanted Pence to not count certain states because he thought that the Republican legislatures in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania should have the final say. At least that's my interpretation of it. Let's get to the final part of this, where we talk about what could actually happen. Now, what changes as a result of these votes? So first, let's talk about Congress. I think the new House of Representatives will perhaps be yet more polarised than the one that's being replaced and very likely to be Republican-controlled, which we've talked about will mean a lot of investigations and inquiries that are aggravating to the White House. Perhaps some showboating on Republican legislation that gets sent up to the president's desk and forces him to veto it. Uh, For example, some sort of national abortion law which heavily restricts abortion. But it would only get to his desk if it gets through the Senate as well. The Senate will remain very, very close, whichever way it ends up. And that's just America at the moment. We have a country that's split down the middle and is struggling to find consensus on anything. I mean, you look at the support for Ukraine and the representative who may be the leader of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, another Californian who might replace Nancy Pelosi, he indicated not long ago that support for Ukraine would be on the table. Now, he did reverse that position quite quickly, but it remains to be seen whether a future Congress that is not in some way in Democrat hands will do anything at all to support the president. And there is a precedent, of course, at the end of Obama's second year. And he was basically had his hands tied behind his back for six years because Congress was against him. He wasn't really able to achieve any major legislation. And this kind of stasis, this kind of paralysis, is just one feature of the modern American system, and they don't seem to have a way out of it. What about some of the local races? Are we going to see many of the governorships flipping? One thing that interests me about the governor's races is that it's often the incubator of future presidential candidates. So we've got Ron DeSantis running for re-election in Florida. Now, what does it mean if he gets re-elected quite handily? Well, he's proven to Republican voters that he's the guy who can win re-election. And the guy that he might be facing for the nomination in 2024, Donald Trump is not the guy who won re-election. In fact, he, he lost in 2020, despite his claims. That would be a real boost, I think, for him and keep him strongly in the game. Among Democrats, we've got J.B. Pritzker, who's a popular Democrat in Illinois, likely to get re-elected. He's a millionaire, probably one of the wealthiest Democrats in the country and expected to perhaps try for his own presidential run if Biden doesn't. So as an outside journalist looking in, the the governors are important, of course, because they rule their state and state voters' lives will be greatly affected by the character of the governor. The governor of Pennsylvania has been the block on restricting abortion because it's got a Republican legislature. But moreover, from Perhaps our British perch, it's very interesting to see these new characters emerging in this gerontology we've got in America where we've got the 70, 80-year-olds all bed-blocking, if you like, at the top of the system. (laughs) And they're going to have to get out of the way sooner or later. And this is where we can see the new cadre of leaders coming through. 
you raise a very interesting point uh, that I hadn't thought of, which is if the Republicans do pretty well, that might indicate to them they don't need Trump, is what you're saying particularly if some of them do rather better than others. I mean, did you find any Republican voters around who were saying, yeah, we'll vote Republican here, and then we're hoping not to get Trump in the presidential elections? Well, what's interesting is, despite the fact that Trump is very strongly still the preferred Republican in polling, I must say that when I spoke to Trump supporters in depth in Arizona, I really detected a desire for new blood, actually. Would you, so would you vote for Trump if he came back, if he wanted to come back? Or would you think there could be he was uh, a, a better... If he becomes a candidate, yeah, then I will in a heartbeat. There's yeah. some good candidates who look right. like they run out. The, yeah, yeah, good... the only thing is, if, yeah. he, if he gets in, I mean, it's going to be the same, same four years. Are we able to get anything done? They're going to try to impeach him. And... Yeah, they will. That's why I'm hoping he yeah. maybe listens right. yeah. to Santos or yeah. somebody yeah. 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 and stays in the background and right. works right. his magic. Now, do you expect then, I mean, on that basis, you might expect Donald Trump to just wait for the midterms to happen and then immediately declare that he's going to run so that nobody can get in ahead of him. So I want to take you kind of two stages of hypotheticals. Firstly, is that something that you think is likely to happen? And second, if it is... Does Joe Biden then say, well, you know, I'm not going to stand down. I'm the guy who beat Trump last time. I can beat him this time. So I'm also going to say that I'm going to stand again. Yeah, that's probably the most likely outcome because both parties really want clarity about who is going to be standing. On both sides, you've got ambitious politicians who need to know whether the principal, i.e. Biden or Trump, is going to be in the way. Now, Trump is doing his best to dissuade anybody from challenging him. That that won't work. We know that Mike Pence, well, we're pretty sure that Mike Pence will challenge him, probably others like Mike Pompeo. But I do think that Trump is preparing to announce his run. It may be informed partly by the fact that the legal cases against him have not gone away and he feels in a much stronger position to fight them as a candidate and potentially as president. But they're obviously with the prerogative of pardoning perhaps himself. And on the Democrat side, of course, there are a number of governors who also would fancy their chances against Kamala Harris, who would obviously stand if Biden didn't stand. Almost all of them have indicated that they wouldn't stand against Biden. He seems to be minded to stand again at the moment. And it's extraordinary because we'll soon be celebrating his, his 80th birthday. And of course, the chatter about his verbal stumbles and his not knowing which way to leave the stage moments is not going away. There's only going to be more of those incidents as he gets a bit older, I think. And so if Democrats are successful in the midterms, it might persuade Biden that he's going to run again. If they're tragically unsuccessful, that might be the end of Joe Biden. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, US editor for The Times, David Charter. You can find all of our extensive coverage of the US midterms at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel with production help from Olivia Case and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Guy Chase. 
If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.